chapter fifty two of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter fifty two which had very nearly been the last of the story dr portman's letter was sent off to its destination in london and the worthy clergyman endeavoured to soothe down mrs pendennis into some state of composure until an answer should arrive which the doctor tried to think or at any rate persisted in saying would be satisfactory as regarded the morality of mr penn at least helen's wisdom of moving upon london and appearing in person to warn her son of his wickedness was impracticable for a day or two the apothecary forbade her moving even so far as fair oaks for the first day and it was not until the subsequent morning that she found herself again back on her sofa at home with the faithful though silent laura nursing at her side unluckily for himself and all parties pen never read that homily which dr portman addressed to him until many weeks after the epistle had been composed and day after day the widow waited for her son's reply to the charges against him her own illness increasing with every day's delay it was a hard task for laura to bear the anxiety to witness her dearest friend's suffering worst of all to support helen's estrangement and the pain caused to her by that averted affection but it was the custom of this young lady to the utmost of her power and by means of that gracious assistance which heaven awarded to her pure and constant prayers to do her duty and as that duty was performed quite noiselessly while the supplications which endowed her with the requisite strength for fulfilling it also took place in her own chamber away from all mortal sight we too must be perforce silent about these virtues of hers which no more bear public talking about than a flower will bear to bloom in a ballroom this only we will say that a good woman is the loveliest flower that blooms under heaven and that we look with love and wonder upon its silent grace its pure fragrance its delicate bloom of beauty sweet and beautiful the fairest and the most spotless is it not pity to see them bowed down or devoured by grief or death inexorable wasting in disease pining with long pain or cut off by sudden fate in their prime we may deserve grief but why should these be unhappy except that we know that heaven chastens those whom it loves best being pleased by repeated trials to make these pure spirits more pure so pen never got the letter although it was duly posted and faithfully discharged by the postman into his letter-box in lamb court and thence carried by the laundress to his writing-table with the rest of his lordship's correspondence into which room have we not seen a picture of him entering from his little bedroom adjoining as mrs flanagan his laundress was in the act of drinking his gin those kind readers who have watched mr arthur's career hitherto and have made as they naturally would do observations upon the moral character and peculiarities of their acquaintance have probably discovered by this time what was the prevailing fault in mr penn's disposition and who was that greatest enemy artfully indicated in the title-page with whom he had to contend not a few of us my beloved public have the very same rascal to contend with a scoundrel who takes every opportunity of bringing us into mischief of plunging us into quarrels of leading us into idleness and unprofitable company and what not 
in a word pen's greatest enemy was himself and as he had been pampering and coaxing and indulging that individual all his life the rogue grew insolent as all spoiled servants will be and at the slightest attempt to coerce him or make him do that which was unpleasant to him became frantically rude and unruly a person who is used to making sacrifices laura for instance who had got such a habit of giving up her own pleasure for others can do the business quite easily but pen unaccustomed as he was to any sort of self-denial suffered woundily when called on to pay his share and savagely grumbled at being obliged to forego anything he liked he had resolved in his mighty mind then that he would not see fanny and he wouldn't he tried to drive the thoughts of that fascinating little person out of his head by constant occupation by exercise by dissipation and society he worked then too much he walked and rode too much he ate drank and smoked too much nor could all the cigars and the punch of which he partook drive little fanny's image out of his inflamed brain and at the end of a week of this discipline and self-denial our young gentleman was in bed with a fever let the reader who has never had a fever in chambers pity the wretch who is bound to undergo that calamity a committee of marriageable ladies or of any christian persons interested in the propagation of the domestic virtues should employ a quickshank or a leech or some other kindly expositor of the follies of the day to make a series of designs representing the horrors of a bachelor's life in chambers and leading the beholder to think of better things and a more wholesome condition what can be more uncomfortable than the bachelor's lonely breakfast with the black kettle in the dreary fire in midsummer or worse still with the fire gone out at christmas half an hour after the laundress has quitted the sitting-room into this solitude the owner enters shivering and has to commence his day by hunting for coals and wood and before he begins the work of a student has to discharge the duties of a housemaid vice mrs flanagan who is absent without leave or again what can form a finer subject for the classical designer than the bachelor's shirt that garment which he wants to assume just at dinner-time and which he finds without any buttons to fasten it then there is the bachelor's return to chambers after a merry christmas holiday spent in a cosy country house full of pretty faces and kind welcomes and regrets he leaves his portmanteau at the barber's in the court he lights his dismal old candle at the sputtering little lamp on the stair he enters the blank familiar room where the only tokens to greet him that show any interest in his personal welfare are the christmas bills which are lying in wait for him amiably spread out on his reading-table add to these scenes an appalling picture of bachelor's illness and the rents in the temple will begin to fall from the day of the publication of the dismal diorama to be well in chambers is melancholy and lonely and selfish enough but to be ill in chambers to pass long nights of pain and watchfulness to long for the morning and the laundress to serve yourself your own medicine by your own watch to have no other companion for long hours but your own sickening fancies and fevered thoughts no kind hand to give you drink if you are thirsty or to smooth the hot pillow that crumples under you this indeed is a fate so dismal and tragic that we shall not enlarge upon its horrors and shall only heartily pity those bachelors in the temple who brave it every day this lot befell arthur pendennis after the various excesses which we have mentioned and to which he had subjected his unfortunate brains one night he went to bed ill 
and the next day awoke worse his only visitor that day besides the laundress was the printer's devil from the pall mall gazette office whom the writer endeavoured as best he could to satisfy his exertions to complete his work rendered his fever the greater he could only furnish a part of the quantity of copy usually supplied by him and shandon being absent in warrington not in london to give a help the political and editorial columns of the gazette looked very blank indeed nor did the sub-editor know how to fill them mr finucane rushed up to penn's chambers and found that gentleman so exceedingly unwell that the good-natured irishman set to work to supply his place if possible and produced a series of political and critical compositions such as no doubt greatly edified the readers of the periodical in which he and penn were concerned allusions to the greatness of ireland and the genius and virtue of the inhabitants of that injured country flowed magnificently from finucane's pen and shandon the chief of the paper who was enjoying himself placidly at boulogne sur mer looking over the columns of the journal which was forwarded to him instantly recognized the hand of the great sub-editor and said laughing as he flung over the paper to his wife look here mary my dear here is jack at work again indeed jack was a warm friend and a gallant partisan and when he had the pen in hand seldom let slip an opportunity of letting the world know that rafferty was the greatest painter in europe and wondering at the petty jealousy of the academy which refused to make him an r a of stating that it was generally reported at the west end that mr rooney m p was appointed governor of barataria or of introducing into the subject in hand whatever it might be a compliment to the round towers or the giant's causeway and besides doing pen's work for him to the best of his ability his kind-hearted comrade offered to forego his saturdays and sundays holiday and pass those days of holiday and rest as nurse tender to arthur who however insisted that the other should not forego his pleasure and thankfully assured him that he could bear best his malady alone taking his supper at the back kitchen on the friday night after having achieved the work of the paper finucane informed captain costigan of the illness of their young friend in the temple and remembering the fact two days afterwards the captain went to lamb court and paid a visit to the invalid on sunday afternoon he found mrs flanagan the laundress in tears in the sitting-room and got a bad report of the poor dear young gentleman within pen's condition had so much alarmed her that she was obliged to have recourse to the stimulus of brandy to enable her to support the grief which his illness occasioned as she hung about his bed and endeavoured to minister to him her attentions became intolerable to the invalid and he begged her peevishly not to come near him hence the laundress's tears and redoubled grief and renewed application to the bottle which she was accustomed to use as an anodyne the captain rated the woman soundly for her intemperance and pointed out to her the fatal consequences which must ensue if she persisted in her imprudent courses pen who was by this time in a very fevered state yet was greatly pleased to receive costigan's visit he heard the well-known voice in his sitting-room as he lay in the bedroom within and called the captain eagerly to him and thanked him for coming and begged him to take a chair and talk to him the captain felt the young man's pulse with great gravity his own tremulous and clammy hand growing steady for the instant while his finger pressed arthur's throbbing vein the pulse was beating very fiercely pen's face was haggard and hot 
his eyes were bloodshot and gloomy his bird as the captain pronounced the word afterwards giving a description of his condition had not been shaved for nearly a week pen made his visitor sit down and tossing and turning in his comfortless bed began to try and talk to the captain in a lively manner about the back kitchen about vauxhall and when they should go again and about fanny how was little fanny indeed how was she we know how she went home very sadly on the previous sunday evening after she had seen arthur light his lamp in his chambers whilst he was having his interview with bose bose came back to his own rooms presently passing by the lodge door and looking into mrs bolton's according to his wont as he passed but with a very melancholy face she had another weary night that night her restlessness wakened her little bedfellows more than once she daren't read more of walter lorraine father was at home and would suffer no light she kept the book under a pillow and felt for it in the night she had only just got to sleep when the children began to stir with the morning almost as early as the birds though she was very angry with bose she went to his room and at her accustomed hour in the day and there the good-hearted musician began to talk to her i saw mr pendennis last night fanny he said did you i thought you did fanny answered looking fiercely at the melancholy old gentleman i've been fond of you ever since we came to live in this place he continued you were a child when i came and you used to like me fanny until three or four days ago until you saw this gentleman and now i suppose you're going to say ill of him said fanny do mr bose that will make me like you better indeed i should do no such thing bose answered i think he is a very good and honest young man indeed you know that if you said a word against him i would never speak a word to you again never cried miss fanny and clenched her little hand and paced up and down the room bose noted watched and followed the ardent little creature with admiration and gloomy sympathy her cheeks flushed her frame trembled her eyes beamed love anger defiance you would like to speak ill of him she said but you daren't you know you daren't i knew him many years since bose continued when he was almost as young as you are and he had a romantic attachment for our friend the captain's daughter lady mirabel that is now fanny laughed i suppose there was other people too that had romantic attachments for miss costigan she said i don't want to hear about em he wanted to marry her but their ages were quite disproportionate and their rank in life she would not have him because he had no money she acted very wisely in refusing him for the two would have been very unhappy and she wasn't a fit person to go and live with his family or to make his home comfortable mr pendennis has his way to make in the world and must marry a lady of his own rank a woman who loves a man will not ruin his prospects cause him to quarrel with his family and lead him into poverty and misery for her gratification an honest girl won't do that for her own sake or for the man's fanny's emotion which but now had been that of defiance and anger here turned to dismay and supplication what do i know about marrying bose she said when was there any talk of it what has there been between this young gentleman and me that's to make people speak so cruel it was not my doing nor arthur's mr pendennis's that i met him at vauxhall it was the captain took me and ma there we never thought of nothing wrong i'm sure he came and rescued us and he was so very kind then he came to call and ask for us and very very good it was of such a grand gentleman to be so polite to humble folks like us and yesterday ma and me just went to walk in the temple gardens and then here she broke out with that usual unanswerable female argument of tears and cried oh i wish i was dead i wish i was laid in my grave and had never never seen him 
he said as much himself fanny bose said and fanny asked through her sobs why why should he wish he had never seen her had she ever done him any harm oh she would perish rather than do him any harm whereupon the musician informed her of the conversation of the day previous showed her that pen could not and must not think of her as a wife fitting for him and that she as she valued her honest reputation must strive too to forget him and fanny leaving the musician convinced but still of the same mind and promising that she would avoid the danger which menaced her went back to the porter's lodge and told her mother all she talked of her love for arthur and bewailed in her artless manner the inequality of their condition that set barriers between them there's the lady of lyons fanny said oh ma how i did love mr macready when i saw him do it and pauline for being faithful to poor claude and always thinking of him and he coming back to her an officer through all his dangers and if everybody admires pauline and i'm sure everybody does for being so true to a poor man why should a gentleman be ashamed of loving a poor girl not that mr arthur loves me oh no no i ain't worthy of him only a princess is worthy of such a gentleman as him such a poet writing so beautifully and looking so grand i'm sure he's a nobleman and of ancient family and kept out of his estate perhaps his uncle has it ah if i might oh how i'd serve him and work for him and slave for him that i would i wouldn't ask for more than that ma just to be allowed to see him of a morning and sometimes he'd say how do you fanny or god bless you fanny as he said on sunday and i'd work and work and i'd sit up all night and read and learn and make myself worthy of him the captain says his mother lives in the country and is a grand lady there oh how i wish i might go and be her servant ma i can do plenty of things and work very neat and and sometimes he'd come home and i should see him the girl's head fell on her mother's shoulder as she spoke and she gave way to a plentiful outpouring of girlish tears to which the matron of course joined her own you mustn't think no more of him fanny she said if he don't come to you he's a horrid wicked man don't call him so mother fanny replied he's the best of men the best and the kindest bose says he thinks he is unhappy at leaving poor little fanny it wasn't his fault was it that we met and it ain't his that i mustn't see him again he says i mustn't and i mustn't mother he'll forget me but i shall never forget him no i'll pray for him and love him always until i die and i shall die i know i shall and then my spirit will always go and be with him you forget your poor mother fanny and you'll break my heart by going on so mrs bolton said perhaps you will see him i'm sure you'll see him i'm sure he'll come to-day if ever i saw a man in love that man is him when emily bud's young man first came about her he was sent away by old bud a most respectable man and violoncello in the orchestra at the wells and his own family wouldn't hear of it neither but he came back we all knew he would emily always said so and he married her and this one will come back too and you mark a mother's words and see if he don't dear at this point of the conversation mr bolton entered the lodge for his evening meal at the father's appearance the talk between mother and daughter ceased instantly mrs bolton caressed and cajoled the surly undertaker's aide-de-camp and said lord mr b who'd have thought to see you away from the club of a saturday night fanny dear get your pa some supper what will you have be the poor girl's got a gathering in her eye or something in it i was looking at it just now as you came in and she squeezed her daughter's hand as a signal of prudence and secrecy and fanny's tears were dried up likewise and by that wondrous hypocrisy and power of disguise which women practise and with which weapons of defence nature endows them the traces of her emotion disappeared 
and she went and took her work and sat in the corner so demure and quiet that the careless male parent never suspected that anything ailed her thus as if fate determined to inflame and increase the poor child's malady and passion all circumstances and all parties round about her urged it on her mother encouraged and applauded it and the very words which bose used in endeavouring to repress her flame only augmented this unlucky fever pen was not wicked and a seducer pen was high-minded in wishing to avoid her pen loved her the good and the great the magnificent youth with the chains of gold and the scented auburn hair and so he did or so he would have loved her five years back perhaps before the world had hardened the ardent and reckless boy before he was ashamed of a foolish and imprudent passion and strangled it as poor women do their illicit children not on account of the crime but of the shame and from dread that the finger of the world should point to them what respectable person in the world will not say he was quite right to avoid a marriage with an ill-educated person of low degree whose relations a gentleman could not well acknowledge and whose manners would not become her new station and what philosopher would not tell him that the best thing to do with these little passions if they spring up is to get rid of them and let them pass over and cure them that no man dies about a woman or vice versa and that one or the other having found the impossibility of gratifying his or her desire in the particular instance must make the best of matters forget each other look out elsewhere and choose again and yet perhaps there may be something said on the other side perhaps bose was right in admiring that passion of pens blind and unreasoning as it was that made him ready to stake his all for his love perhaps if self-sacrifice is a laudable virtue mere worldly self-sacrifice is not very much to be praised in fine let this be a reserved point to be settled by the individual moralist who chooses to debate it so much is certain that with the experience of the world which mr pen now had he would have laughed at and scouted the idea of marrying a penniless girl out of a kitchen and this point being fixed in his mind he was but doing his duty as an honest man in crushing any unlucky fondness which he might feel towards poor little fanny so she waited and waited in hopes that arthur would come she waited for a whole week and it was at the end of that time that the poor little creature heard from costigan of the illness under which arthur was suffering it chanced on that very evening after costigan had visited pen that arthur's uncle the excellent major arrived in town from buxton where his health had been mended and sent his valet morgan to make inquiries for arthur and to request that gentleman to breakfast with the major the next morning the major was merely passing through london on his way to the marquis of steyne's house of stilbrook where he was engaged to shoot partridges morgan came back to his master with a very long face he had seen mr arthur mr arthur was very bad indeed mr arthur was in bed with a fever a doctor ought to be sent to him and morgan thought his case most alarming gracious goodness this was sad news indeed he had hoped that arthur would come down to stilbrook he had arranged that he should go and procured an invitation for his nephew from lord steyne he must go himself he couldn't throw lord steyne over the fever might be catching it might be measles he had never himself had the measles they were dangerous when contracted at his age was anybody with mr arthur morgan said there was somebody a nussing of mr arthur the major then asked had his nephew taken any advice morgan said he had asked that question and had been told that mr pendennis had had no doctor morgan's master was sincerely vexed at hearing of arthur's calamity he would have gone to him but what good could it do arthur that he the major should catch a fever his own ailments rendered it absolutely impossible that he should attend to anybody but himself but the young man must have advice 
the best advice and morgan was straightway dispatched with a note from major pendennis to his friend dr goodenough who by good luck happened to be in london and at home and who quitted his dinner instantly and whose carriage was in half an hour in upper temple lane near penn's chambers the major had asked the kind-hearted physician to bring him news of his nephew at the club where he himself was dining and in the course of the night the doctor made his appearance the affair was very serious the patient was in a high fever he had had pen bled instantly and would see him the first thing in the morning the major went disconsolate to bed with this unfortunate news when good enough came to see him according to his promise the next day the doctor had to listen for a quarter of an hour to an account of the major's own maladies before the latter had leisure to hear about arthur he had had a very bad night his nurse said at one hour he had been delirious it might end badly his mother had better be sent for immediately the major wrote the letter to mrs pendennis with the greatest alacrity and at the same time with the most polite precautions as for going himself to the lad in his state it was impossible could i be of any use to him my dear doctor he asked the doctor with a peculiar laugh said no he didn't think the major could be of any use that his own precious health required the most delicate treatment and that he had best go into the country and stay that he himself would take care to see the patient twice a day and do all in his power for him the major declared upon his honour that if he could be of any use he would rush to penn's chambers as it was morgan should go and see that everything was right the doctor must write to him by every post to stillbrook it was but forty miles distant from london and if anything happened he would come up at any sacrifice major pendennis transacted his benevolence by deputy and by post what else could he do he, as he said gad you know in these cases it's best not disturbing a fellow if a poor fellow goes to the bad why gad you know he's disposed of but in order to get well and in this my dear doctor i'm sure that you will agree with me the best way is to keep him quiet perfectly quiet thus it was the old gentleman tried to satisfy his conscience and he went his way that day to stillbrook by railway for railways have sprung up in the course of this narrative though they have not quite penetrated into penn's country yet and made his appearance in his usual trim order and curly wig at the dinner-table of the marquis of Steyne. but we must do the major the justice to say that he was very unhappy and gloomy in demeanour wag and wenham rallied him about his low spirits asked whether he was crossed in love and otherwise diverted themselves at his expense he lost his money at whist after dinner and actually trumped his partner's highest spade and the thoughts of the suffering boy of whom he was proud and whom he loved after his manner kept the old fellow awake half through the night and made him feverish and uneasy on the morrow he received a note in a handwriting which he did not know it was that of mr bowes indeed saying that mr arthur pendennis had had a tolerable night and that as dr goodenough had stated that the major desired to be informed of his nephew's health he r b had sent him the news per rail the next day he was going out shooting about noon with some of the gentlemen staying at lord steyne's house and the company waiting for the carriages were assembled on the terrace in front of the house when a fly drove up from the neighbouring station and a grey-headed rather shabby old gentleman jumped out and asked for major pendennis it was mr bowes he took the major aside and spoke to him most of the gentlemen round about saw that something serious had happened from the alarmed look of the major's face wag said it's a bailiff come down to nab the major but nobody laughed at the pleasantry hello what's the matter pendennis cried lord steyne with his strident voice anything wrong it's it's my boy that's dead said the major and burst into a sob the old man was quite overcome not dead my lord but very ill when i left london 
mr bose said in a low voice a britzka came up at this moment as the three men were speaking the peer looked at his watch you've twenty minutes to catch the mail train jump in pendennis and drive like havoc sir do you hear the carriage drove off swiftly with pendennis and his companions and let us trust that the oath will be pardoned to the marquis of steyne the major drove rapidly from the station to the temple and found a travelling carriage already before him and blocking up the narrow temple lane two ladies got out of it and were asking their way of the porters the major looked by chance at the panel of the carriage and saw the worn-out crest of the eagle looking at the sun nes tenui penna painted beneath it was his brother's old carriage built many many years ago it was helen and laura that were asking their way to penn's room he ran up to them hastily clasped his sister's arm and kissed her hand and the three entered into lamb court and mounted the long gloomy stair they knocked very gently at the door on which arthur's name was written and it was opened by fanny bolton End of chapter fifty two